blessings to each one of you. I think we'd have plenty to think about if we went home now, but I'll try to share some things that I can still learn, you can still learn, and uh, we can grow in things. I want to talk, and I'm coming from James chapter 2. I'm first going to go to John chapter 15. Uh, No, I'm sorry, John 7. I'm talking about a faith that works. It's what I've entitled my message. And in John 7, verses 37-38, it says, In the last day, that great day of the feast, Jesus stood up and cried, saying, If any man thirst, let him come unto me and drink. He that believeth on me, as the Scripture has said, out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water. I want to keep, have you keep that verse in mind as we look at James chapter 2. But this is, uh, Jesus is saying, it comes the sources from Him. It is not a stagnant pool. It is not a little trickle. It is a river of flowing water flow from His inner being to other people to minister to them to be a a witness to them. And so when we go to James chapter 2, and I'm going to begin in verse 14, it says, What doth it profit, my brethren, though a man say he hath faith and have not works? That's his first question that he asks here. Now, faith is a little like calories, and I guess this it breaks down, but calories are, you can't see them, but you can always see the result of calories often. Now, in one sense, I don't think that's right, because faith, you should be able to see. Uh, You do see the results, and I guess, in a sense, they're the same. But James passionately speaks about this uh, in 14 through 26 here. And I would like to initially clarify maybe a critical issue that we think about sometimes. What might be look like a contradiction between the thrust of our passage today, a man justified by uh, works and not faith alone. When Paul in Romans 3, 28 said, therefore we conclude that a man is justified by faith without the deeds of the law, without works. Is that a contradiction that we see there? They both use the word justified. I'd like to look at several things. First, it is important to understand that we, the emphasis of Paul and James are, are different. They are different. Paul stresses the root of salvation, um, where James stresses the works of salvation or 
he calls, James calls attention to the fruit of salvation. Paul is looking at the root, where it comes from. James is looking what it does for you. Um, secondly, Paul and John's perspective, John looks at, uh, at it from God's perspective and James maybe looks at it more from a human perspective. Paul sees it as the fire in the fireplace. James sees it as the smoke coming from the chimney. It's what it does for you. To James, the world should be able to tell that faith burns in your heart. It's there by the works that they see coming from your life. Jesus is that source for sure. And if we're talking about salvation, then it is through Christ alone. Thirdly, Paul and James use the same word here as we see justified, but two different meanings. Paul uses it meaning the act of God at salvation where a sinner comes to him and repents of his sin and believes and is made righteous, is justified through that act. James, on the other hand, uses it to mean a validation or evidence of your salvation. We justify or prove our faith by our works. It has been well said uh, that Paul and James are not soldiers of a different army, but think of them as back to back and they're both fighting for the same army. One's just going a little different direction than the other. Justification by works, justification by uh, through Christ alone. And I'm sure that they would both agree with each other. There is no way that we can earn our salvation by working for it. Uh, but as we look at the passage here, if we are Christians, we will have works. It will be there. To begin here in chapter, as we read chapter 2, verse 14, James asked two rhetorical questions. What does it profit, my brother, no man say he has faith and not works? <clears throat> um, what James is asking, what good does it do if you say you have faith and you have no works to justify that claim, it's like asking what good does it do to have a driver's license if you don't drive? Nothing. It does nothing for you. So what good does faith do that produces no works? The answer again is nothing. James then asks a deeper question where he says, um, can faith save him? Essentially, he's asking, what can an empty faith do? If faith is empty and has nothing, what can it do? Now, 
The answer, of course, is it doesn't do anything for The great leaders of Reformation used to say, we are justified by faith alone, but not by faith that is alone. It has works. Faith is accompanied by fruit. It is not found in hollow words. When we continue here in 15, uh, it illustrates four marks of faith that I'd like to look at here, beginning in 15. If a brother or sister be naked or destitute of daily food, and one of you say unto them, Depart in peace, be you warm and filled, notwithstanding you give them not those things which are needful to the body, what doth it profit? <clears throat> um, it really is not going to do that person any good if we don't do something about it. Um, the illustration is easy to understand because at no doubt, sometime or another in our own lives, we have maybe experienced somebody saying something or uh, sharing with us that really didn't mean a whole lot. Maybe in a time of need, a time of frustration, a time of when we were struggling with something and somebody says something to it and you know they're not really there with you. You don't feel it. James is saying, what good does that do? Um, somebody has paraphrased it this way. Keep up your spirits. Don't be discouraged. Someone will come. Go from my presence and be comforted. You know, I was caught with that saying, uh, hang in there, Paul and Rhoda. I was talking to Paul, was asking him how his wife's doing, Rhoda. And uh, I began, and I had already studied some of this, and I began to think, hang in there, Paul. And I thought, no, that's not the right words. Um, we need to have something deeper than that. That was a good saying at one time. Hang in there. Uh, good times will come again. Well... Maybe we can have some more comforting thoughts, some more deeper thoughts uh, than just keep up your spirits. Don't be discouraged. We have to come alongside that person and help them. <clears throat> what is missing, James would say, is real proof of your faith. And I think no one echoes that better than John when he says in 1 John 3, 17 and 18, but whoso hath this world's good and seeth his brother in need and shutteth up his bowels of compassion from him, how dwelleth the love of God in him? It can't be. And so, my little children, let's not love in word, neither in tongue, but in deed, uh, an action word, and in truth. Hereby we know that we are of the truth and shall assure our hearts before him. <clears throat> so it is an action thing that we do secondly faith is not independent but in partnership verse 17 even so faith 
If it hath not works, is dead, being alone. Um, there's a popular song, I guess it was, I read it. Um, I wasn't aware of it, and you might find it a little comical, but it might help you remember this at least. Um, I found out that Frank Sinatra sang the song, which I don't condone his music necessarily. Um, don't know much about his music. But there was a, a song that was apparently popular at one point. It says, love and marriage, love and marriage, go together like a horse and carriage. And so... Um, the final stanza in that concludes with these words, you can't have one without the other. Faith and works go together like a horse and carriage. Remember that. Faith and works go together like a horse and carriage. You can't have one without the other. Faith was never designed to be alone, to dwell alone, separate from his partner of works. That partner proves the existence of faith. Thirdly, faith is not visible, but on display. James here in this chapter, end of the chapter, uh, illustrates by cre creating an imaginary conversation between people. Um, one is speaking of verse 18. Yea, a man may say, Thou hast faith, and I have works. Show me thy faith without thy works, and I will show thee my faith by my works. The word show means to bring to light, uh, to display, or to exhibit. James' imaginary friend is talking about demonstrating faith. Do your best. To show your faith um, without your works. And I'll demonstrate my faith by my works. And we'll see who really sees faith. Who really has faith. And you know, there might be some people that would say, well, there's all kinds of people and people are different. And some people might just have the gift of showing their faith more than others. Uh, I'm more of a quiet person. I never display my faith. Maybe that's a little like saying some have the gift of breathing and others don't. We delude ourselves thinking it doesn't matter whether we have evidence our faith or not. James's whole point is here in verse um, yeah, verse 17 that if you don't have works, your faith is dead. It's not there. Amen. It's dead being alone. <clears throat> Fourthly, faith is not merely intellectual, 
but from the heart. Next, James picks out another person and he says, Wilt thou know, O vain man, that faith without works is dead? And he goes on to, uh, well, I should have read verse 19. Thou believest that there is one God and thou dost well. The devils also believe and tremble. So, uh, James picks somebody that might be called a religious man. You could think of maybe the, the priests and the Levites or the, the Pharisees, uh, those that Jesus was with at that time, and they would say, uh, we believe in God, we believe in Abraham, we believe all that. We have it together. The person's defense is against not having any works is to hide behind an impressive knowledge about God, about God's Word, about how He works. He might say, my theology is uh, impeccable. It's, uh, I believe God. There is one. Just like it says in Deuteronomy uh, 6, uh, 4, I know all about God. Wonderful, says James. Joins hands with the devil because they also have that intellectual knowledge, but they have no works. So, he says, you will do well. The demons also believe and shudder. So, just having that intellectual knowledge is not going to do you any good. The demons have their religious facts right, but they're still demons. We can know all the religious facts we want, but until we recognize our need for Christ and place our trust in Him, we are no more Christians than the devils are. It is interesting that the devils tremble at the Word of God. thought about that for a while. <clears throat> and it means a rough, or uneven surface. Somebody has said they get goosebumps at thinking about God. And we know that seeing our world and seeing people and many so-called Christians don't even have that much reaction to not loving God, not trusting Him. Um, wow, there's just no fear any longer in people. They disobey, they disregard, they do what they want to and don't even tremble, don't even stumble, don't even think about what they're doing. That they're headed for an endless eternal hell. It brings no reaction. How can it be? I shudder to think of that. Turn with me to Matthew 7. I'd like to think about just a little bit here. I know it talks about Abraham and those... Um, 
Matthew 7 here, and I'm going to read verse 21 through 23. Jesus says here, Not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven. But he that doeth the will of my Father which is in heaven, many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name? And in thy name have cast out devils, and thy name done many wonderful works. And then I will profess unto them, I never knew you. Depart from me that work iniquity. Somehow, they missed the whole point. I'd also like to look at... um, find it in my notes here. Matthew, oh, didn't write down the reference there. I got 31 through 46. Um, let me see if I can find it. It's where it talks about Jesus dividing the sheep and the goats. <clears throat> it's toward the end of Matthew. I do know that. Let's see, I said 31 through 46. Yeah, that's correct. Thank you, John. It says here, and I'm just going to read the whole thing. When the Son of Man shall come in His glory and all the holy angels with Him, then shall He sit upon the throne of His glory. And before Him shall gather all nations and He shall separate them one from another as a shepherd divideth his sheep from the goats. And he shall set the sheep on the right hand, but the goats on the left. Then shall the king say unto them on the right, Come, you blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom of heaven. No, I'm sorry, kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was a hungered, and you gave me meat. I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. I was a stranger and you took me in, naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came unto me. I find this interesting what the righteous said. Then shall the righteous answer him saying, Lord, when saw we thee a hunger and when fed we thee or thirsty and gave thee drink? When saw thee we a stranger and took you in, naked and clothed thee? And when we saw thee sick or in prison and came unto them, and the king shall answer and say unto them, Verily I say unto you, inasmuch as ye have done it unto one of the least of these my brethren, ye have done it unto me. Now I'd like for us to think about that just a little bit. I go back to my verse in the beginning where rivers of water flow from us. Why? Because we have accepted the Lord as our Savior. We have made Him a part of our life. And through that, out of our belly, as it says, out of our inner being flows that nurturing power, that river of flowing 
water, ministers to people. However, they don't remember. It is such a natural thing that comes from you as a Christian, as a, a child of God, that you're doing those things out here and you don't even think about it. It just comes naturally. And so, when Jesus says to them, you've done all these things, they say, when did we do it? Um, it just came natural. And they weren't saying, I'm doing this for, for uh, so I have a better place in heaven, or I have whatever. No, they've done it because it was out of a heart of love, a heart of compassion, a heart of whatever in Christ. Verse 41, Then shall he say unto them that on the left hand, Depart from me, the cursed, into everlasting fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. I'm sorry, I didn't read all that. Um, hold on here. <clears throat> Uh, verse 41, Then shall he say unto them on the left hand, Depart from me, ye cursed, into the everlasting fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was a hungered, and ye gave me no meat. I was thirsty, and ye gave me no drink. I was a stranger, and ye took me not in. Naked, and ye clothed me not. Sick and in prison, and ye visited me not. Then shall they answer him, also answer him, saying, <clears throat> Lord, when saw thee we a hunger, or a thirst, or a stranger, or naked, or sick, or in prison, and did not minister unto thee? Then shall he answer them, saying, Verily I say unto you, inasmuch as ye did it not unto one of the least of these. <clears throat> Excuse me. You did it not unto me. And these shall go away into everlasting punishment, but the righteous unto eternal life. Now the, the very opposite thing happened here. There was a group of people that weren't even paying attention to what was going on around them. They never realized or noticed the needs of others. They didn't minister to anybody because they were whatever. Had their own selves in mind. Didn't care about God. They were too busy doing their thing. And they're saying, when did we see you like that? We don't remember. When did we see you like that? Inasmuch as you do it not unto them. This, you know... As I look at this passage, we say, what do you mean by works? Well, James talked about Abraham and uh, Rahab. It's interesting that it picks those two out probably about as far apart in how they lived than could be if we believe. I know there's various opinions about the harlot Rahab, uh, but they'd done a work for God, both of them, and they were justified by it. 
And here, I'm just emphasizing that I believe as Christians, a faith alone is going to be dead. It must have works with it. And it seems like, and this might not be the only place in Scripture that we read of it, that we will be judged by our works. And so we need to pay attention to what we're doing. And also, I don't have the Scripture written down. I believe it's in Matthew 5. I looked it up real quick in Sunday school. I happened to think of the verse where it talks about uh, doing things to be seen to men. It was mostly talking about the person standing on the corner praying and, and uh, to be seen of men. And Jesus said, Behold, they have had their reward. And I think of a lot of different things. Uh, I'll just be up front. Relief sale is one thing that I think about. People pay enormous prices for a cake. Let's just take that as an example. Why? Is it for show? It's a good thing they're doing, maybe giving money, but if they're doing it for show, Jesus said, sorry, you've had your reward. You showed off to your friends. That's all the reward you'll get. And so we need to be careful on that side of it too, that we're not doing it to be seen to men, but be doing it, he says, do it in secret and your heavenly Father will reward you openly. What a blessing. What a wonderful thing. James sums it up in chapter 2 with um, Abraham and Rahab. And then verse 26, For as the body without the spirit is dead, when we think about many funerals we went to, the spirit has departed from the body. It's dead. It no longer moves. It no no longer functions. It doesn't do anything. It's dead. And he says, For as the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without works is dead also. So there is a necessary place for us to have works in our life. And I believe as you think about it and as uh, God shows you different things, you will find places that you can uh, minister to other people doing those things that God has placed in your heart. And you at Mission Home are there with all those children you're ministering at this point in your life. We have our place of ministering that we should be doing all the time. God wants us to. I have something a little different this morning. I'm not going to ask for a song, but I thought the two songs that were sent to me Uh, Every Sunday morning I get two songs from, uh, well, I think they come from Georgia, maybe somewhere, but Elvin, J. Elvin Hurst, of course, sends them to me, and I send them out to whoever. But I'm going to sing, or I'm not going to (laughs) sing, 
I'm going to play those two songs, and I want you to listen to them very carefully because they really speak to this whole thing that we were just talking about. Can't you see them standing there? The lame, the blind, the sinner. Go and tell them that I care. Invite them to my heaven. Look at them through my eyes. See them as I do. obviously love them home to me talks about us going out and and reaching the world for us the the other one is did you tell someone about jesus very pretty song too today you walked another mile down the pathway that's leading you home and you met many travelers along the way, both strangers and friends that you've known. And often you stop 
to talk for a while with those you've met on the way. But friend, did you mention the name of the Lord to someone you talked with today? Did you tell someone about Jesus? Did you mention his name to a friend? Did you warn the stranger who's lost and undone that death is the wages of sin? Did you show them the plan of salvation? Did you tell them he's coming again? Did you talk about Jesus or the things of this world? Did you tell someone about him? Some traveler you shall meet today May walk down this pathway no more For this could be the final mile Before his journey's o'er How sweet it would be to meet him again In heaven some glad day And hear him say I made it through For you told me about Jesus one day Did you tell someone about Jesus? Did you mention his name to a friend? Did you warn the stranger who's lost and undone That death is the wages of sin? Did you show them the plan of salvation? Did you tell them he's coming again? Did you talk about Jesus or the things of this world? Did you tell someone about him? Did you tell someone about Jesus? Did you mention his name to a friend? Did you warn the stranger who's lost and undone that death is the wages of sin? Did you show them the plan of salvation? Did you tell them he's coming again? Did you talk about Jesus or the things of this world? Did you tell someone about him? It's a sobering question, really. Did we tell someone? <clears throat> Do we use the opportunities that we have to share the gospel? And I'll have to say I've missed some. I really have neighbors that died of cancer and a few of them I look back with regret that I didn't do more. God wants us to be busy. Take the opportunities you get to share his love, to share what God has done for you. I know sometimes it's hard to do. It takes uh, boldness as we talked about in our Sunday school class. But God wants us to be there. <clears throat> Any thoughts you have? Brother, yes. <clears throat> I just want to tell saints of this church you really don't know how the world perceives you all. You really don't. They're looking to you to say that all those Mennonites are such pure, holy people and wonderful. And we talked a couple Sundays ago about how many tracts were given out to Africa. But you need to be that track here 
in a place that's shorter. Or give a track out for stuff. Because I would take the stand before the Lord and he'd say, what about the ten talents? What about the five talents? And to that other man with the two talents, you can depart from me, I never do. What did you do with the time that I gave? I, I just feel like, don't let this deal go down this way. Tell somebody, you are the example of Christ. You are the ambassadors on this planet, this local area, to witness for Jesus Christ. He's given you everything you can imagine. He's given you eternal life. You can be with him in glory in just the snap of a finger. He gives you your next breath. You don't know when it's going to happen. So use the time wisely that he's given you. It's all in his glory and honor. And I, you know, uh, for me, uh, I'll plug you. No education. I can go out and witness for the empowerment of the Holy Ghost. Yes. What a thrill I get. What joy it is. It's truly joyous. A real challenge that we have. <clears throat> Anybody else? It's a challenge to me to think about all that. Anybody else have something you'd like to say? Encouragement? It's a real challenge to me. Go ahead, John. I just, uh, in the last verse you read there about the, uh, about it was dead. About works of dead. And then uh, I just was pondering and looked it up and noticed that there's a couple places where works without faith is dead too. Um, Hebrews 6 1, leaving the principle of the doctrine of Christ, let's go on to perfection, not laying again the foundation of repentance from dead works, and faith towards God. And then Hebrews 9, uh, shall not the blood of Christ further conscience from dead works to serve the living God. So we can have a dead faith and we can also have dead works. And I think, it, and probably that's maybe. Uh, Paul talking, he's he talks about the root, and our root in Christ. Uh, I, I mean, that's where our source comes from is the root in Christ. But we also think of a tree, and I meant to go to John fifteen where it talks about where he prunes those branches to bear more fruit, but the ones that don't bear fruit, he cuts away. And this, one thing, one yeah, thing, go ahead. One thing significant about something that's dead, and it's too long that it stinks. <laughs> that's true. So let's uh, take the challenge up. When you have opportunities, let's take them and do something about them. Let's stand for closing prayer. <clears throat>